Welcome back to Random Thoughts by a Random Dude. Uh, good morning to you. It is about 4.30, 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time in California here where I live. And I uh, want to start off this show by letting you know this is dedicated solely to and about the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I have refrained from really sharing all of my thoughts on these guys uh, for probably about the last year or so. Um for various reasons, but today uh, I will be discussing that because after that debacle of a game versus the Cowboys, uh, the Falcons need to have this come to Jesus meeting. So uh, with that said, let's get started. I think to get started, we have to go backwards, as is the case a lot of times in life, right? We kind of have to dig a little bit deeper. We have to look to what happened before the point that we're currently at. Uh, so with that said, uh, it's really about our head coach. Uh, Dan Quinn. Now, I'm on the record as saying that we needed to fire the man last year. So last year, the Falcons in their first eight games lost seven of them. So there is a better time to fire him. I don't know when it would have been. Um, that is after they went seven and nine, two seasons in a row, um, following um, some pretty good playoff runs, Super Bowl run, um, and what should have been another Super Bowl run the following year. Um, Dan Quinn ended up going seven to nine, eight and eight, about two to three seasons in a row. Um, and it wasn't totally his fault, uh, those two to three times that they did go, uh, seven and nine, eight and eight, you know, mediocrity basically, um, wasn't completely his fault. It is a team game. Um, but with that said, uh, you are the head coach and a lot of it does fall on your shoulders. So Dan Quinn, again, let's go back. Uh, Dan Quinn started in, uh, Seattle. He was the defensive coordinator for arguably one of the top two, three defenses in NFL history uh, with the Legion of Boom. So he was the guy calling the plays for prime Cam Chancellor, prime Richard Sherman, um, you know, in that stud defense that they had up in Seattle um, from, you know, 2011 to 2014 or so. They also had a a prime uh, Earl Thomas all on the same defense, all balling out um, and went to a couple of Super Bowls. One, I want to say one. And then they lost that one against the Patriots. So again, Dan Quinn was the defensive coordinator for that defense. Um, and at the time, it seems as if it seemed as at the time, it seemed as if he was the mastermind, uh, behind that defense. But the, the more that we get into his tenure as the Falcons head coach, um, it's clear that he was calling maybe some great plays. Don't get me wrong, but you also had three plus Hall of Famers on the same defense all in their prime. Um, at the same time, um, I would argue that probably had a little bit to do with his success. Um, but nevertheless, uh, he's, he as in Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn is, is basically tabbed as a defensive guru. We hire him. And when I say we, I mean the Falcons hire him as head coach after, you know, our time with Mike Smith had come to an end. Um, Smitty had did a lot for our team, but he was kind of, um, kind of soft, um, kind of a nice guy. Um, and that would always hurt the Falcons at the worst times. Come in, you know, enter Dan Quinn coming from Seattle. Great defensive mind up there. Complete opposite of Mike Smith. He, he apparently is a tough guy. Um, you know, he, he's a motivator. Um, which is good and bad. Um, so you get to Atlanta as the head coach and 
you hire someone as your offensive coordinator, you hire someone as your defensive coordinator. And, a, and basically, you're just there overseeing, right? Like if somebody's calling your offensive plays and your defensive plays, the only thing you're really there is to, to approve or not approve whatever is really being called. And then as we learned in the Super Bowl, I'm not even sure that he's doing that. Uh, but again, fast forward to let's start, you know, fast forward to last year. Again, starting off one in seven out of your first eight games. Dan Quinn is on the hot seat. So the Falcons have a decision to make. They go into the bye week and they decide, hey, we're going to give him this chance. You know, he's earned the right to at least fight for his job. We give him the last eight weeks of the season and see what he does. And what he, what he did was pretty, pretty good. I mean, you can't argue with it. Um, beat New Orleans, um, who was a significantly better team than us at that time. Uh, so we beat them coming out of the bye week and then uh, also went to San Francisco and beat a clearly better team uh, than the Falcons at the time and the 49ers who would go on to win the Super Bowl. So needless to say, out of the last eight games, after losing seven of the first eight, he wins six of the last eight. So the Falcons are at a point where, hey, what do we do? Right. The first half was awful. Right. You have to hang that on coaching. But the second half was arguably significantly better. Right. Um, and at this point, what do you do? Do you just start off? Do you start over with a new coach or say, hey, we finished six and two. That's a sign of things to come. Well, the Falcons did the latter and said, hey, it's a sign of things to come. Obviously, here we are. COVID hits, no preseason. Um, you know, camps are, are affected negatively and you get to week one of the season. And I don't think there's any, you know, any shame in losing to the Seahawks. I think right now, again, they're a better team. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but then you hits yesterday and you get up by 20 on the Cowboys. And, you know, to be fair, at no point in that game should the Falcons have ever been up by 20 points on the Cowboys. The Falcons are an approved team, but they're not 20 points better than the Cowboys. So at no point in that game should they have even had that lead. But you got the lead, right? You're up by 20 um, and you lost. So statistically speaking, 440 times before in the NFL a team has had 39 points and zero turnovers, 440. OK, they always won. If you get 39 points, you have zero turnovers, you win 440 times out of 440 times until the Falcons come along. And that's my problem with Dan Quinn and these Falcons. So before Dan Quinn came, we were really more about losing. Right. It wasn't like, oh, we ever had a chance at winning the game. We would just flat out lose. Now, even more so with Dan Quinn, it seems that we don't just lose. We get up and then lose. Personally, I would rather lose by 40 than to be up by 20 and lose, like just completely beat me. So for a team to get up by two, three touchdowns and to lose and to have it happen repeatedly from the big stage to the small stage, um, to me, that points at coaching issues. And I'm speaking from a place of frustration because it's so blatantly obvious to me um, that things need to change. Um, and I speak as a Falcons fan of almost 25 years uh, who's been here through the good, the bad, through your starting quarterback going to jail, you know, through your receiver or through your, through your defensive back man of the year candidate being arrested the night before the Super Bowl back in 98. Um, yeah, check that out. Um, there's a lot of embarrassing history um, through this organization, but uh, I think it's hitting peak embarrassment at this point. Um, and I think that's my, my frustration with the organization. And for those of you guys that are relatively new to sports and, and, and learning the nuances of it, 
when we say organization, we're talking about deeper than the team, right? That's that's regardless of sports. So I'm talking about organization. I'm talking about the front office. I'm talking about the owner. I'm talking about, you know, the ticket sales department on down to the to the grounds crew on game day. This is bigger than just the actual football team, uh, which actually brings me to my next point of uh, the Falcons issues are no longer about talent. Right? If they just didn't have the talent, it wouldn't be so spectacular to see them lose. The fact they lose the way they do with all the talent that they have on the team is what makes this so different and so tough to take. Um, I mean, you think about it, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan or a Detroit Lions fan or a New York Jets fan um, or a Giants fan right now or a Texans fan and you lose, are you upset? Yeah. But are you surprised? Not really. Right. Because you don't have a whole lot of talent on those teams to lose this way with this much talent is uh, is a sign that they're not being coached correctly. Right. It's one thing to to not have coaching or talent. But when you don't have when you have talent and you're not winning. It's the people that are instructing them. For instance, go back in this Cowboys game and, and look at the onside kick uh, of the Cowboys at the end of the game and understand the Falcons had their hands team in there. Right, Julio's on the field. I saw Hayden Hurst on the field. A couple of other guys that should be able to get their hands on an onside kick. Right, that's why they call them the hands team. Right, get your hands on the on the football. It's a pretty simple sport. The ball the, the ball travels about six yards, and all of these guys on the hands team. It's not as if they just watch the ball roll 10 yards. Now, understand, the kicking team cannot touch it before the ball goes 10 yards. The receiving team can hop on it at any time, right? Just rules of football. The Falcons, as the receiving team, with the hands team on the field, all backed away from the ball and watched it roll an additional five yards. To me, that is a coaching issue. How do you have guys that have played little league football, middle school football, high school, college and professional football and not know that they can hop on the ball before it rolls 10 yards? That is complete stupidity. Like it doesn't even make sense. Like it makes no sense. These guys have played thousands and thousands and thousands of plays of football. These guys don't do anything else but play football. They don't go to class. They don't do any of that. They play football. This is their profession. How do you not know that you can hop on the ball before it rolls 10 yards? I don't know, but that is on the coaching staff to make sure that they know. And they didn't. And sometimes it's the smallest things that point to the bigger problems. And that's exactly what happened with the Falcons. I also want to say uh, Thomas Dimitrov, as far as I'm concerned, the general manager, I have in the past argued that maybe it was time for him to go as well. And although I am tough on my team, I truly believe that at the time. but. I will say from the little bit that I've seen from the Falcons this season, understand again, they didn't have a preseason, right? And no matter what anyone says, preseason is important. That gives you a chance to, that gives you a chance to work the kinks out before the games actually count. And none of the professional teams had that, but that's not an excuse, right? The Falcons weren't the only team that didn't have it. Everybody didn't have it. Here we are. The season is starting and it's clear that there is more talent, more pieces around them. There is more talent. There's more pieces around A, Matt Ryan, B, Deion Jones in the defense. The team is better on paper. The team is better on the field. It's just not translating to wins. So that is not the general manager's problem. The general manager, his job is to put the right players on the field. And for a couple of seasons, Thomas Dimitrov was not doing that. He's done that, right? It's no longer about the talent on the field. They've got that. You got Julio. You got Calvin Ridley. You went and signed Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst is a first-round draft pick at tight end. Okay. 
Um, you're running back. You're basically running back by committee. You have Todd Gurley, but Todd's not the same, which is okay. That's fine. But you, you still have Todd back there. You got Matt there. You plug the holes on the offensive line. The offensive line looks way, way, way better than it has the last couple of years. There are no holes on the offensive side of the ball like there used to be last year and the year before. We used to have problem at guard, at tackle. We have we have built through the draft, so that's no longer a problem. So offensively, we're good. Defensively, probably have some things to work on, but still no reason to blow a 20-point lead, 21-point lead. Makes no sense, man. No, no matter how you think about it, none of this makes sense, man. I'm also curious, and again, just bear with me as we just as I rattle off my thoughts on random thoughts by a random dude, but at some point, you got to start looking at the owner, Arthur Blank. And I love Arthur Blank. I love everything he's done for the city, for my team. Um, you know, bringing in this, the soccer team, Atlanta United, they got an MLS championship. You know, he's done well for himself and for the team and for the city. But at a certain point, it's like, hey, what are you what are you watching that we're not watching? What are you seeing or not seeing that we're not aware of? Right. I'm not sure how an owner can watch what he's watched the last three, four years and think that that team is OK and think that the organization is OK and barely even say anything about what's going on. He doesn't even he doesn't even acknowledge the the bad football that's being played. He just sits back wherever he is and he's quiet about it. At this point, you got to start looking at ownership as part of the issue, right? There ha- I, I get having continuity, having the same coaches there for a little bit. But at a certain point, it's like, what are we doing? I mean, you went and literally hired Steve Sarkeesian the, the year after the Super Bowl. You, you barely even interviewed anybody else. And you went and hired a recently fired college coach and brought him on to coach one of the best offenses in the NFL. Technically still one of the best offenses in NFL history in terms of the players that were still on the field. And it was like watching your professional team run college football plays. It's like you're giving the keys to a Ferrari to a 16 year old and watching what happens with it. All right. And Steve Sarkeesian, he, don't get me wrong. He wasn't bad. Um, he wasn't awful. But there are definitely some things that were just like, why, why are you running a jet sweep on the one yard line on fourth down? Like that don't make sense. Like that just does not make sense by football standards. Got Steve out of there. And then you went back and hired Dirt Cutter from 2014 that you fired seven years ago, six years ago. And you're getting much of the same, you know, running the ball on first down 75% of the time. Third and long, he's going to run a screen. Guarantee it. I, I promise you he's going to run a, a screen. I'd argue 50 to 60 percent of the time, just very predictable play calling. And you're just watching all of this talent sputter on the field. And it's quite spectacular to watch, like just to watch the Falcons find new creative ways to lose. It's actually pretty remarkable. I can say uh, in all truthful sadness that um, after the Super Bowl, my fanhood kind of just subsided a, a decent amount, because at that point, it's just like, what more can you what more can you do? You know, you what more can a team do than what they did? And they still found a way to lose. I'm just tired of the losing, man. You get tired of. And, and again, I don't really mind the losing. Like the Falcons have been losing pretty much the last 25 years. Right. They lose whenever it counts. They always lose. It is what it is. But it's how you lose. Right. Like you, the fact that you get up by X amount of points, that means you have the ability to do it. Right. If you didn't have the ability to do it. There's no frustration because you're a terrible team. and You just never have the ability to win. But these guys have the talent. They have the pieces to win and they just never do. Um, I think what needs to be done at this point is the Falcons need to clean house. You know, coaching staff has to go. 
completely. It's this, you can't, you can't just move co- the same coaches around to different positions and think you're going to get a different result because you moved your receivers coach to defensive backs coach or to defensive coordinator, you know, or, or you went and read like you, there's just so many missteps that they've taken over the last five years that it's hard to deny. Um, and it's time for a change. I'm not sure if Arthur Blank is, is, is watching the same things that we're watching, but he's got to figure it out. You got to get rid of Quinn. You got to fire the whole coaching staff. You got to get rid of everybody. And that's no exaggeration. This is a structural issue for this organization. This is not a who's on the field. They are not being taught correctly. They're not having the correct plays called. This is a sideline issue. And it's really that simple. At this point, if Arthur Blank does not fire Dan Quinn within the next four weeks, listen, Arthur needs to sell the team, man. He needs to sell the team. He needs to get on. It's, at this point, it's like, for you not to fire this dude, you're condoning everything that you're seeing, right? To not say anything is like you're condoning everything that you see. And and I'll tell you, today is is Monday. It's been less than 12 hours after the Cowboys game. And I'm I'm looking at Twitter to figure out at what point will Dan Quinn be fired today. Not Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but Monday, right after the game. It's just that time. I'm starting to, to wonder how much does Arthur Blank really care about this team? With that said, Falcons, I love you, man. Y'all just got to change some stuff around. Starts with firing the whole coaching staff, top to bottom, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach. Get rid of all of them because they're all the problem. And then go get the offensive coordinator from Kansas City, uh, Eric Bien-Ami. Um, Not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but listen, if you think Patrick Mahomes is, is doing what he's doing without having the right plays called, you're crazy. Okay, play calling is huge. Um, I would also say, hey, look at the 49ers. You, you saw what Kyle Shanahan did with us. He goes to the 49ers. The year that Jimmy G went down, I mean, Kyle was out there playing with a bunch of no-namers, and the team was still competing because he was calling the right plays, right? They might not have won every game. Actually, they lost most of them, but they weren't losing like this, right? They, they were not losing like this. They were still competitive. They were still putting up a fight. They were still losing with their head held high, and we're not doing that here. So um, with that said, Kansas City, uh, enjoy your your OC a little bit longer. Um, until my Falcons come after him. With that said, as always, thank you again. Random thoughts by a random dude. I'll have another episode coming soon about the NFL as a whole, not uh, as Falcons specific as this one. Again, thank you for joining me. Random thoughts by a random dude. Until next time. Rhymes, I don't know what you do for your respect, but I'm a dapper man. A nigga try to play me. I'm a blow him off the map ASAP.